thanks to our sponsor, ShareGate. Do you know how many files are shared outside your organization? Do you know which of your groups and teams are actually being used? Are you sure that every team in your tenant is a valid owner? Do you know why your users create new teams in Microsoft 365 groups? ShareGate's got your back. After helping thousands of customers move to Office 365, they've learned that success in the cloud involves more than just migration. And that's why they created ShareGate Apricot, an automated governance platform for Microsoft Teams and Microsoft 365 groups. ShareGate Apricot can help you answer questions like these without placing unnecessary restrictions on your users. With ShareGate Apricot, get full visibility across each team's lifecycle from creation all the way through to archival. Automate manual tasks involved in identifying problem areas like inactive or orphan teams and collaborate team owners on corrective measures to keep your teams tidy and secure. And that's why they've also combined ShareGate Desktop, their trusted migration and content management tool with ShareGate Apricot in a single subscription so that you have everything that you need to be successful in the Microsoft Cloud. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 412, where today, record it. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 412, recorded live June the 3rd, 2021. Today, CJ and I are going to talk about another huge acquisition, new Windows, and what's new in Microsoft Azure. So I might have got a little flustered when I did the intro there, and I might have gotten things a little bit out of order, but um, hey, I think it worked. (laughs) Yeah, it'll do. It got all the right info across. Nailed it. In case it wasn't clear, we're recording live on June the 3rd, 2021. Yes, indeed. All right, CJ, how you doing, man? Uh, as a famous witch once said, I'm melting. <laughs> a little toasty where you are, huh? Yeah, it is. I'm, we're about to head back to Washington tomorrow, back up to Seattle. But currently, I'm still in Utah, where the temperature is currently, let me have a look, thermonuclear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it's a dry heat. That's what they tell me. <laughs> As I scrape myself off the pavement looking like a raisin, I'm so dehydrated. But um, it's very nice, really. We're here seeing some of the national parks, and it's really fun. It's been a really good trip. But yeah, coming from a very moist Washington with lots of rainfall to a place that gets six inches of rainfall a year, it's very arid and dry, and uh, I've never drunk so much water in my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I call that Tuesday here in Florida. <laughs> yeah. Or actually now exactly, Thursday. Yeah. Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. So no, it's, re- it's been very good though. Seen, uh, seen a lot of new things and some beautiful scenery, amazing national parks. It's good to get out of the, out of the city with the family and... Um, our two weeks is coming to an end, so we're heading home tomorrow. Yeah, it's been fun watching your pictures on, you and Vicky's pictures on social media that you've been sharing on Facebook. This afternoon, I get to go ATVing around to a place called Peekaboo Canyon and um, trying not to kill the family in the process. I've got to try and not flip the ATV. Apparently, mm. that's a bad scene. Yep. I've never done that. I've never been to that area, but it doesn't sound like that's the goal. No, no. It's going to be very dusty and fun, but also fun. Zipping around the sand dunes. So, um, yeah, it's been awesome. How about you? What have you been up to this week? A whole hell of a lot and not a whole lot. A whole hell of a lot trying to yep. get, you know, caught up and flooded with all the stuff from from work, trying to wrap up stuff for a current quarter of work that I'm doing. And But I'm also we're doing some work in our kitchen, and we had new countertops installed yesterday, and I found 
I learned, I didn't know this, I was going to be doing this at the time. I learned while they were putting the countertops in that they also don't put the sink back up because we have a new sink being put in as well. And just like every home project, he's like, so your plumber is going to go through and hook everything back up. And I'm like, well, apparently that's me. And I was like, you're going to put the cooktop back. He's no, no, no. Your electrician's going to do that. I'm like, huh, again, apparently that's me. So last night was takeout all of a sudden out of the blue. And I now when I, we went from having a double sink, like for two drains to a single one big one. Yep. You know, there's always this stuff that you think that you plan it out, just like a dev project. You think you plan it out. And then all of a sudden you get into it and you're like, I ain't going to work. Shoot. Huh. So the garbage disposal that comes down, come, it would make direct contact with all the piping that comes out of the, or the PVC that comes out for the drain out of the wall. And of course, the original plumbers that did this, they glued and cut everything with like no give right up to the wall. So this morning was cutting a hole in the wall to kind of see like, uh, so I got to cut farther back and how hard is this going to be? Because I have to move the piping yeah, gotcha. to get everything to work. So I have a family that is still waiting to have water in the kitchen. I was able to go through and at least get things sealed off enough to where we could turn water on for the whole house overnight. But yeah, so now I'm, it's frustrating because it's like, it's something I need to get done and I want to get it done. But because of what they did with the countertops and everything, I can't put any weight in or on the sink for 24 hours to let stuff cure. And that's not until this afternoon. And I can't go start doing all the tubing until I mount the garbage disposal because I want to make sure that things are going to line up. But I can't put the garbage balls on because it's pretty heavy and it's going to put weight on the sink. So I can't start the job until like late this afternoon. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, you'll be uh, under the sink plumbing at like 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. So I have a Home Depot list that I'm going to go run and grab this afternoon. I have additional extra I might need list that I will put in a separate bag as I'm doing my checkout so that I know what I can return. And I can say, like, I'd rather go back and return stuff than make like four trips to Home Depot to try and get water turned on. So I'd like, rather the return be on my schedule instead of like get the water on on everyone else's schedule. Yeah, my home projects always require a minimum of four trips to Home Depot per project. It's not a trip until you do it. Exactly. I've done one so far that was to cap everything off because the out pipes were exposed. Yep. Without a P-trap, those things stink. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah. Okay, so you're at one. Well, let us let us know. Keep us posted on how it goes. I most certainly will do that. But um, so today, let's jump into the show. Today, we got uh, a handful of news things, um, some stuff that is kind of carryover stuff from the Build Conference uh, a week or two ago. But before we do that, let's jump back to our bi-weekly segment. This week, it's What's New in Microsoft Azure. This episode is brought to you by Raygun. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy application experience for your customers? With Raygun Application Performance Monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to find and fix errors and performance problems across your tech stack down to the line of code. With Raygun, monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify and resolve issues, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers, saving you time, money, and sanity. I've personally used Raygun and Hyperfish for the last four years to help me sleep better at night knowing the customers we've worked so hard to get are having a great experience. We use Raygun to alert engineers proactively so that we can be the ones to tell customers when we've fixed the problem instead of them calling us to say something's wrong. Raygun.com is my secret weapon in shipping high-quality code. Check it out at raygun.com and get up and running in minutes. Back to the show. Okay. 
So, CJ, I've got, what is that, six things that I want to just run through. That's what's new in Microsoft Azure. Some of this is stuff that was announced after uh, Build Conference. Some stuff was announced kind of during the same time. Unlike our Microsoft 365 updates that we do, Azure doesn't have the whole message center concept. So I don't have like IDs and stuff to point you to, but we do have links that I can point you to. So I'm going to run through these kind of quick. I'm not going to, we're not going to spend a bunch of time on these because we have other news we want to get to. Sure. The first one, a couple of GA announcements, general availability announcements, a couple announcements around some public preview stuff. The first one was that Azure announced general availability of scale out NVIDIA GPU clusters. These are the fastest cloud supercomputers. So these things are using the NVIDIA A100 V4. They're powered by the A100 GPUs from NVIDIA. And they're designed to let the most demanding customers scale up and scale out without slowing down. Some of the stuff that's kind of interesting about this, that's just some gratuitous numbers to kind of like show off, it seems, but I'm sure these mean something to somebody, is benchmarking these guys. They've been able to get a high-performance Linpack and HPL result of 16.59 petaflops. This result, delivered on public cloud infrastructure, would fall within the top 20 of the November 2020 top 500 <laughs> list of the fastest supercomputers in the world or the top 10 in Europe based on the region when the job was run. It seems like a lot of like clarifications on how do we get to top 20. That's very specific. Yeah. It's like we're top 20. If the wind is blowing from the west and if you hold your tongue at just the right angle out of your mouth when we do the test, and if you're looking upwards in the direction of the sun, then we're number one. Yeah, in those cases, we kick ass. We could totally nail it, yeah. Yeah, so I'm not minif- minim- uh, minimizing this, but um, you know, just some stuff that's kind of interesting about this. It's the machine that you're looking for is called the standard ND96 ASR V4. There are 96 physical CPU cores, 90 gigs of memory, eight by 40 gigabyte NVIDIA A100 GPUs. There's a local six and a half gigabyte NVMe temp disk, and there is a 40 gigabit Azure network for this as well. So these are just like some badass machines. I would love to see what some of these customers are doing with this. I mean, it's Microsoft keeps talking about here, new machines, we're giving new machines, we're giving. And it's like, there's a demand for these. I just love to see who's actually using this and like talk about some of the scenarios. So if you're out there, reach out to us. We'd love to hear it. The next update I have is for Azure cost management and billing updates. They got a bunch of stuff that happened in May, um, extended support, expanded support for cost allocation uh, across APIs and downloads, manager group, exports for Azure government, selecting relative dates in the cost analysis preview, help improve usability for Azure reservation and saving features, what's new in cost management labs, new ways to save money with Azure's, new video and learning opportunities, new documentation updates. All that is there as part of a big update that they had. Another general availability announcement, Azure API management premium tier pricing reduction for incremental purchased units. It's not a huge difference. So like The first unit doesn't change for pricing units, but every subsequent unit, it goes from $1.83 an hour down to just under $2 an hour. So almost a 50% reduction on what the pricing is for the U.S. region for API management once you go from Hmm. the first unit to all additional units. So you can go check that out at the link in the show notes. Two public pre... Is it just two? I think it's, no, one more general availability one. This one's kind of a carryover from the build stuff. So a GA, Logic Apps with new hosting options. You can run Logic Apps on Kubernetes. That's the Arc stuff that we talked about last week. Yep. And then two really quick public previews. Azure Storage Blob Inventory 
is now available in all public regions under public preview. This allows you to the ability to understand the total number of objects, their size, tier, and other information to gain insight in your storage estate. I can't believe this has taken this long to get. I've needed this in so many, so many times in different projects. And now you can actually get, I can actually do a count on how much stuff I have in a folder. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? They're like, they were like black holes before. Mm-hmm. And you had to write all the stuff yourself to go pull out how many objects you had in there and how big they were and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. The last one I have is Event Event Hubs Premium is now available as a public preview. This allows or provides you with multi-tenant offerings with resource isolation, enabling more predictable, high-throughput, and low-latency workloads, work, workloads while providing higher limits and extending support to more Apache Kafka workloads. And that is what's new in the Microsoft Azure world. Well, that's what's new in the Microsoft Azure segment and the Microsoft uh, Cloud Show in episode 412. Now we got a lot more news, which there's actually some stuff to share around Azure, but we can jump into that. (laughs) Some other Azure bits and pieces. Yeah. So what do you got for us this week that you want to share with our listeners? Yeah. First off the docket for me is, I believe it was yesterday or the day before, we're recording this on the 3rd, on the 1st of June, there's a blog post called Migrate Content from Box, Dropbox, and Google Workspace into, into Microsoft 365. So periodically over the years, Microsoft's done big pushes for migrating your things from other services, like from Box and Dropbox and Google Workspace and so forth, into Office 365, into places like OneDrive and that sort of thing. And so this is another push in that um in that respect or in that, you know, that sort of space, Microsoft are offering out-of-the-box migration tools from some of these services like Box, Google Workspace, and Dropbox directly, right? And are integrating the migration of content from those places directly to or inside the SharePoint Administration Center. So, um, yeah, that's uh, you, they made an acquisition from Mover, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I think some of this comes from that, right? And it's slowly sort of being integrated into the service directly to help it, help it uh, be less of a problem moving from those other things into Microsoft 365. So Microsoft making more jumps in that space. Yeah. Uh, pretty nice. Very cool. If you're coming from those other services, yeah. I've got a, uh, I've got a, an Azure, another Azure update. This is from an uh, old friend of ours, Arpan Shah who's a general manager over in the Azure space. And it's about new capabilities to simplify deployment and management of your Azure resources. There's really three things that they're that he's focusing on in here. In terms of the deployment piece of this, there's a one of the improvements they made around declarative deployment is using something called Bicep. What this does is this allows people to deploy Azure resources that with a lot of the convenience of like modern programming languages. So it's now... Uh, something that you can use with a developer's, an app developer's workflow. So like first-class tooling, Visual Studio Code integration, features such as type safety, modularity, concise, readable syntax. It's a, Bicep is a transparent abstraction over ARM templates, which means anything you do in ARM, you can do in Bicep. What I don't know is how Bicep and something like Terraform, how they, how they compare to each other, because Terraform, I, I, you know, does kind of the same thing. So, but, this is the uh, Bicep version 0.4 that was made available yesterday. Well, as we're recording this yesterday, June the 2nd of 2021. So it lets you do a lot of stuff with that. Mm. Two other things, too, around the management side. And this was partly introduced at, at the Build Conference. 
is that Elastic is now available as a native option inside of as an Azure service, currently in preview. So what it allows you to do is allows you to deploy and manage Elastic, which is if you're not familiar with what Elastic is, it's like a think like open source search is one aspect to it, but also like uh, log analytics or analyzing log and telemetry data as well is a really big thing. So Elastic is like, the, they're the company behind things like Elasticsearch, Kibana, and Logstash, which are very popular in the container space and like in the Linux, Linux-based space. So these are available now. I love Elastic. Yeah, these are, they're natively available to us inside of Azure and being able to manage them straight from the portal. And the last thing is, I'm not going to go into the details of this. We have a, I have a bunch of links there in the show notes, but there are a lot of improvements that they've made to Azure Monitor. Things like the preview of being able to ship log analytics, uh, which is part of Azure Monitor to different distribution um, systems. So if you want to look at it like in Grafana, or if you want to be able to ship your logs to something else, that is capability, the ability to be there or to be able to use ability to share query packs of log analytics queries with your organization, out of the box observability for your cloud resources, automatic instrumentation, more app types. There's a whole lot of stuff that they've done around Azure Monitor. And that's also highlighted in Arpon's post with a link for additional updates for stuff that they've announced with Azure Monitor. And I've also added some links to some of those things to the show notes as well. Gotcha, very nice. I have to read up about that Elastic announcement. That's really exciting. Mm. Okay, I've got one here about Windows. You know, continuing the theme of discussion we've had over the last couple of shows about Windows X being cancelled mm-hmm. or postponed indefinitely or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Microsoft is due to reveal its next generation of Windows on June the 24th. So we've had a notice that uh, Panos, Panos Panay and Sacha are going to hold an event on June the 24th, 8 a.m. Pacific time, 11 a.m. Eastern time, to talk about Windows. And so I guess we will see what all the hoopla about Windows 10 has been about and what they cancelled it for and what they're focusing on around Windows. So who knows what we will see. I hope it's more than just a fluffy new look and feel. But, yeah, and by that I mean, like, you know, a bit of uh, new... (laughs) New icons. I hope it's more than new icons, I see. <laughs> we'll see what it does. I'm curious to see what this is. I mean, it's like, I kind of want to, I'm still surprised that this is coming one day short of a month following the Build Conference and why it wasn't at least talked about more at the Build Conference, but it wants its own event. So you would, got to wonder. I don't get it. But I'll be curious to see what it is. Yep. Me too. June the 24th. I also have a bit of Windows news as well. Microsoft, previously, they teased up the potential for like a Xbox handhold, uh, handheld experience. Well, they're kind of doing that with the Surface Duo, where what they're doing is they're updating the Xbox Cloud Gaming, xCloud app for Android that inclu- includes dual screen support for the Surface Duo. And what it allows people to do with the Surface Duo, all four of them, is to use the virtual gamepad that where one screen on their device is the gamepad and the other screen is the actual game. So it kind of looks like a Nintendo 3DS, kind of more like a mobile phone version slash cross between Nintendo 3DS and a mobile phone version. Oh, dear. Yeah. So I I went and I was like, you know, I was curious about, you know, hey, 
I kind of want to do like, I want to be able to have game. I like, I like to play games every once in a while. We'll shoot them up game or a little racing game or something like that. And I was like, you know, in the past I bought a PS, a PSP. I loved it. And then I bought a, I was on the fence about buying like a Nintendo switch. And I was like, those look so cool when I see them on the plane. I like to do it, but I just feel like it's too expensive to just kind of get it. And I play it for like a couple of weeks and then just kind of let it sit there. I was like, well, what are the other options are there? I have an iPad, a 12 inch iPad. I spent 40 bucks on a refurb Xbox controller. And I can now play a couple different racing games and Call of Duty on my iPad. And it cost me 40 bucks. And I only have to throw a controller in my backpack now. I was like, that was worth that's it. That's pretty awesome. That was worth it. Yeah, that's totally awesome. The reason I'm sighing about this is because, like, I, I actually think, like, a, a gaming device this size with a connection to Xbox things would be pretty useful and pretty cool. But it's not purpose built. Right, mm-hmm. so your gaming controls are on the lower touch screen, which is a complete non-starter for anybody that's into games. Like touch screen controls are just a pointless waste of time, essentially. So it's like it, it's going to definitely fail with hardcore gamers from that respect. It's going to cost more than just buying a forty-dollar Xbox controller for your iPad, and it's going to be jamming something into some into a device that wasn't purpose-built for this. Right, so there's going to be. I just know there's going to be like stutters with the device. You know, you, I just got this bad feeling that there's not going to be a really purpose-built gaming experience. Like the Switch, for example, is a great device. I think it's a great device. It works flawlessly most of the time. I've never had any glitches with it. It's got hardware buttons for gaming. You can detach the controllers. You can connect it up to a big TV. There's loads of, there's loads of features purpose-built for gaming on it. And this just feels like a bit of a compromise. So I don't know if anybody's going to take notice of this. You know, it's funny you say that because that's kind of, that's my, well, not funny you say that because that, that's the exact same approach that I have, that I take, I have my take on it. And it's just the singular use for a gaming console, a portable gaming console to me, just kind of like, it just feels like it's a, a waste these days and the amount of money that you spend on it. I'd rather have like an iPad for a big screen or I'd rather have like the best iPhone to use that for work, to use that for whatever. I came across a Facebook ad and I'm on the fence. My son and I are both on the fence about getting this and trying it out. You heard about the um, backbone? No, uh, I don't think so. I'll put this in the show notes, but I'm going to put this in chat just for, for CJ for you to take a look at. It's called a backbone one. Let's go playbackbone.com. It's effectively what it does is it's a controller. You put your iPhone in the middle of it. And when you push it together, it puts in the lightning port. It basically turns your iPhone into like a switch into a Nintendo Switch. Wow. I look at that and I'm like, that's what I want. That's exactly what I want. Let me get something like this. Let me see the games. Let me play Mario Kart. If it, you know, the gyro works and everything. And it's like, this thing is freaking perfect. It's t- It's small. Wow, that's cool. Isn't that slick? Yeah, that's really slick. Yeah, so I'm really tempted to get it. The videos all look great. Of course, you know, the marketing is fantastic. But I don't know. I mean, it just seems like, just seems like that's more like, that's more my style. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. That'd be pretty awesome for traveling too, like on the plane. Yeah. If we ever get back to planes, mm-hmm. then that'll uh, that'll be pretty nice for that. Awesome. I mean, your phone's already in what your a pocket. Cool device. Well, phones are in your pocket. The only thing that concerns me about it is like, well, because of the way it's set up, if it's not, if your phone's not plugged into it, how flimsy is it, and is it gonna would it easily break or? Oh uh, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. They must also have the ability to plug power must be able to be ported through it. Yes. Stuff like that so that you can keep it juiced up. Yeah, well, it powers off the off the phone's battery. Yeah, but then you also must be, have to be able to plug it in externally, right? Because otherwise you're going to run out of juice and not be able to power your phone because uh, it's using your lightning port. I think it's just, you've just got the chance of it sucking the power. Like there's no charging. It doesn't have a battery. 
it uses minimal power from your iPhone for long gameplay sessions. But then if you're playing a game, then you're using the GPU on the phone. You're we're using the power on the phone and with the screen on too. So when the screen going crazy, the screen's using a lot of power. So yeah, you're playing your game, you're blowing the battery on your on your phone. So it's only going to last for a certain amount of time. There's no pass through on the on power, but that's a shame you can't charge your phone at the same time. Yeah, it doesn't I mean, but it's pretty impressive. This thing works from 100 bucks. 100 bucks. It's pretty good. All the way down to the iPhone 6S. That's actually quite clever. They managed to do that. Mm-hmm. Nice. I almost want one of these with like an iPad mini. That'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. Cool. What else you got for us? Anything else? Yeah. So next thing on the list, Microsoft Teams calling will be enabled for end-to-end encryption shortly. So Microsoft have teased this in the past, but they're going to be rolling out end-to-end encryption for one-on-one Teams calls, right? So if I call you, not for group calls, I, I believe at this stage, which would be pretty nice. Now, this is this will be a direct competition feature with with Zoom, mm-hmm. right? Who got into trouble for their end-to-end encryption moniker? What was that like a year ago? Now a year and a half? Oh no, it was about it was it was pandemic, so it was about a year ago. Yeah, so it's a sort of end-to-end, uh, sorry, a direct competition feature with Zoom, I think, but pretty nice. This will be able to be controlled through policy as well, about turning on end-to-end encrypted calls by IT and administrators and things like that. So. And encryption coming to Teams for one-on-one calls. Hmm. Very cool. Now we've got a big one. Yeah, this one's a really big one. So Stack Overflow has been acquired. Yeah. But for and not not by Microsoft. No, not by Microsoft. It actually was bought by a private firm, uh, an investment and holding company. Private equity firm. That's right. Yeah. yeah, private equity firm. And I just blanked on how much it was purchased for. I think it was one point eight. One point eight billion. One point eight billion for a bunch of Q and A. Yeah. Okay. Have you read this post, the post that I put in the show notes by to the blog post by Joel Sapolsky? I started to and I tuned out. So go ahead. It is kind of long and there's some longish and there's some interesting points that he makes in this, right? But the first version of Stack Overflow was basically built in about six weeks mm. and they made it free, right? So they were going up against, apparently there was another competitor where there was like a paid for product where you could get Q&A and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, so... They've gone from something that took them six weeks to build the first version of to selling for $1.8 billion. It's been around for a long time, don't get me wrong, but that's, I mean, what a massive success story. And this is not Joel Sapolsky's first rodeo, right? Mm-hmm. He's been involved in uh, Fogbugs, Trello, obviously Stack Overflow, and a, and a few other. He used to work on the Excel team at Microsoft years ago mm-hmm. and uh, cut his teeth in software at Microsoft. But just a really great story, like... I can't imagine a programming role right now without Stack Overflow. Like I use it regularly, mm-hmm. and it's a great resource. I'm just really, really surprised Microsoft didn't buy it and integrate it more tightly with GitHub. Yeah, I mean, there's part that. There's also part like, you know, the the like the private equity firm that bought it. I don't get it. I don't understand the purchase. I'm not saying that it doesn't make sense. It. I'm just having a hard time like grokking like why did they do it? Is it is it revenue? It's a tax play, right? It's profitable. Yeah. If I, I mean, I know one of the reasons that companies do this or equity firms do this is they, you know, it, by going through and spending this much money right now, it's a huge tax way to to mitigate uh, tax expense, and then in exchange for recurring revenue over time, and then it's an asset that you can sell later. So it's really just it's an investment. It's not so much a yeah. What are we going to do with this? That's the part they don't really understand in terms of like you know, it's, they just he makes it reasonably clear in his post that it's going to remain independent 
and separate, although everybody says that. <laughs> so proof's in the pudding on that. Right. But I think it's more than likely going to be the case in this case because private equity firms, they don't have skills in this space. They're not, they're not software engineers. They're not in the business of running Stack Overflow. They want it for the investment opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. It's, they've plowed a bunch of money, $1.8 billion or whatever it is, to buy Stack Overflow. Stack Overflow probably spins off quite a lot of cash. Like it's a, it's always been a pretty lean, mean organization mm-hmm. in terms of um, what it takes to run. And it's all built on .NET. Like the whole stack is .NET. It's all of that. And they've kept it pretty tight. And they make a lot of money. They, like it's a great place for recruiting for developers, mm-hmm. posting jobs and, and things like that. So they have revenue streams that are obviously fairly lucrative for them. Or a PE firm, I don't think, would, would, um, would look to invest or look to buy them. Right. Um, mm-hmm. In this case, they're probably uh, making a fair amount of money along the way. And Joel and um, Jeff, right, mm-hmm. Coding Horror, mm-hmm. is or are, have been doing it for a really long time. And um, somebody comes along with $1.8 billion in cash. It's pretty hard to say no to, no. <laughs> especially after you've been working on something since 2008. Yeah. September 15th, 2008. Yeah. I don't want to make it sound like I'm being like critical of, of what was done here. I mean, congratulations to them. Man, if I were in their shoes, I'd want to do the same thing. Like, hey, I've worked on this for, for this amount of time. Somebody's offering to buy it from me and I can kind of walk away and it can still keep being run the same way. I'm like, Okay, yeah, it makes sense. I can go do something else now. I don't have to focus on this. I can go focus on something else. Yeah. I get that aspect to it. I get why the company's buying it if they're just buying it as an investment, just saying we're going to keep running it, just you know, use it to make money off this thing, and we have this great asset that's just kind of you know, making money for us. That's great, too, and the community can still use it. That's awesome. I think, I mean, that's all that stuff is all, is all very cool. I was trying to understand, like, okay, well, I guess my comment was more in response to you saying why Microsoft didn't buy it, integrate it with GitHub. And it was more like, well, these guys aren't really doing anything with it. They're just buying it and going to continue to run it. So it's kind of like a house. Like, I'm going to buy a house. What am I, why am I buying a house? Because I'm just going to go move and go live in that house. I'm not like I'm buying it for a specific reason. I just need to go shift from here to here. Yeah. So, but big move. Different owners, right? So I guess that's, that's the way to think about it, right? You just, yeah, different owners come in and own it. But hopefully they won't uh, screw it up along the way. I hope so. Although $1.8 billion is a lot to lose. So you'd think they'd leave it in charge. And it, like Jeff Atwood and um, uh, Joel, I don't believe, have been involved in it for some time. They've got a CEO that runs it. They've got an exec team and all that sort of stuff that run it. So um, I think they've just been uh, you know, owners and on the board and all that recently. So yeah. hopefully it will continue to run the way it is because I, th- I think it's a great asset. But like I said, I'm really surprised Microsoft didn't buy it mm. and integrate it with GitHub in some way. Like I could see some interesting scenarios there around when you've got questions about a PR for example, or about a particular way something could be built, hooking that up into Stack Overflow for answers and community support on open source projects around that stuff and things. So I actually think it's an opportunity missed by Microsoft, this one. Mm. I mean, it's Stack Overflow came from the Microsoft world, right? It's built on Microsoft technology. It's of all of the tech stacks that there are the most questions and answers are for, .NET is number one, right? Mm. That's, where it's, that's where its community support came from from the .NET world. So I would have thought it made made a bit more sense, but uh, Microsoft didn't jump at it, obviously, or missed out on it. Yeah. Huh. Oh, well. It's still yeah. another big move in the in the tech space. So yep. with that being said, would you like to do picks today, or are we pickless today? Yeah, let's do picks. Okay. 
ACS Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. All right, CJ, I will go ahead. I'll do my pick first. Does that sound good? Yep. Okay. I've just put my pick in. I was pickless until 30 seconds ago. That's why I asked it. I was like, I might go first. Maybe I should go first. (laughs) (laughs) It dawned on me. I was like, wait, as you can tell everyone, we don't do much editing to our shows. I was like, I looked at our list and I was like, wait, he doesn't have a pick. Like, oh, I put a pick on. Yeah. All right. So CJ got his pick on. So I'm going to get my pick. My pick is called GANcraft. So GANcraft is unsupervised 3D neural rendering of Minecraft worlds. This is pretty cool. So what they've done is they've created a AI or an engine. A handful of people have done this. And what it does is they, it looks at a Minecraft world and it does, how do they say this? Effectively, they do a rendering of it using photorealistic, creating photorealistic images. So it actually looks like, it, it, like to me, it feels like I'm playing like that old, like a uh, like Dune or something like that. So you build it and you yeah. build your Minecraft yeah. world, and then it does all of the smooth, not as you know as blocky as it is, and then it builds it nice and smooth and everything, to where you can take a look at it. It's pretty cool. They got a bunch of examples of how of the worlds that they've done. They got a lot of animations where you're viewing the world, and as it's like kind of like scrolling around, you can see it actually getting generated. It just wow. It, this is pretty cool. That is really cool. Like yeah. I, I don't know what the uses of this are, but at first when I thought you mentioned it, I thought you were going to say it was the other way around. I thought you could take a realistic model of of something in the real world and then turn it into a Minecraft world so you don't have to build it block by block, right? I'm sure that exists somewhere else, of course, but this is the other direction. This is from blocks to realistic-looking 3D worlds. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could see some uses for this. Like, maybe not... Minecraft is a good use case, but... Imagine you want to go through and you want to design like a landscape, like landscaping thing for a business, or you want to design like a new, like a new uh, home community just went up in our area and they had this huge facility that like this whole like amenity center with like three buildings and two pools and a park and all this stuff. And I can see, you know, the rendering company, like, let's just throw this together really quick and do like a proof of concept and I can build it ish in Minecraft and then let's run it through this and then. Ta-da, it's like, does, how does this look? And like going, yes, okay, now let's go through and modify here and here and here. See if like architectural kind of stuff. So that's, I found that to be kind of interesting. Yeah, that's really cool. Nice find. Cool. All right, I have a pick here. Now this follows on from the GitHub, sorry, Stack Overflow discussion we were just having. Jeff Atwood, who's rather famous, I guess, programmer for want of a better word, or internet luminary for the work he's done on Stack Overflow over the years. He's got a blog post called Building a PC. Part nine, downsizing. He's got a blog post series running since 2007. Got various different blog. He's up to part nine about his PC and building a PC, basically. Right. And so he's taken his PC over the years and sort of done various things to it and upgrades and all that sort of stuff. But he's had his PC going since 2011. And his last major upgrade was in 2015, he says. And then this blog post is about downsizing it. So it's a pretty cool series to look through back from 2007 of building a PC and minimal booting through to overclocking and upgrading and all sorts of things. So um, I just thought it was kind of cool that he's, it's obviously for his work PC, and that he's um, sort of written blogs through the years about it. And I came across a discussion the other day about cars and when people restore cars and replacing parts, and it's like, at what part is the car no longer the car, Mm -hmm. right? No longer the original car. Like if you keep replacing everything over the years, 
it still might be, you know, Ferrari 250 California or whatever it is, but if it's had all of its bits replaced, is it really mm-hmm. the original car anymore? Yeah. So I think about that a little bit with this PC is like, is this really the, <laughs> is this really the, uh, the same PC anymore? I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, I have the same, I get the same, like, I have the same issue with like with cars, right? You look at it and you see what people have done to it, like going, yeah, but that's not, that's not like a true Ferrari. That's like a true McLaren or something. Although I don't see people, well, whatever. I have that feeling to it, but then I see what people do to them. I'm like, all right, that's pretty cool. What did you do? Oh, we added a twin turbo. We added this, we added this. Like, that's really cool. Like, well, you know, I guess it's just two different kinds of things. But this series has been so cool to watch over the years. I remember reading this post. Yeah. I've got two kids that want to build a gaming machine. And the problem is oh, that yeah. they, they both want to build them and they don't want to, they're not going to want to share it. And so I'm like, yep. start saving. <laughs> yeah. I thought during the pandemic, it wasn't a good idea to do this, but I had this idea just before the pandemic that I was going to do where I wanted to teach kids how to build a PC. Mm-hmm. Not my own kids, they'd obviously be part of it too. I thought about writing and creating a class and I'd order all of the parts mm-hmm. and then you put it out to people in the neighborhood, families in the neighborhood, and you're like, hey, for 500 bucks, we'll build a, a really cheap PC that's capable of doing some basic gaming stuff, right? Not hardcore gaming, just some lightweight gaming. And the kids will come over and we'll all sit together and we'll build the PC together and they, they all get their own parts and things like that. Mm-hmm. But they'll all be the same. They'll be the exact same PC because I'm not dealing with hardware incompatibilities or little Johnny's got a RTX 3090, but, you know, little Bob only has a GTX 960 or whatever. So <laughs> why is all those inequalities? But anyway, I thought about doing sort of a class like that for neighborhood and people through school to go build a PC. But then obviously the pandemic came along and it wasn't cool to invite a whole bunch of people over to your house. So um, <laughs> put that on ice. But something like that, I think it'd be really useful for kids to understand mm-hmm. and learn a bit about hardware. And, and it's super easy to build PCs now. Like it's not like it used to be where you used to have to be you know, fiddling with like jumper cables on your hard, jumpers on your hard drives and, you know, setting all of your BIOS settings manually and, you know, your hard drive settings manually and, you know, for about various block sizes and all that. Remember all that, all of the variables and settings you had to put in the BIOS about your hard drives? Pain. Oh my gosh, it's so painful. But yeah, so it's a lot easier now, but it'd be also pretty cool that it's not just a box that they use, right? It's a, that you know, they've actually had some hands-on experience and built it. And you can build them relatively cheap. Like you can build a decent PC for 500 bucks. It's funny, like what the, what kids are doing with it too. I mean, I, this is my 11-year-old. She'll be 12 in like a week. I walked into her room and I keep seeing like she, she'll order something off Amazon or she'll ask me or mom to order something off Amazon. She always goes to mom. Mom orders it. So I don't have a clue what's going on. And then all of a sudden, like the next day, she's watching the window waiting for the, you know, waiting for Santa Claus to show up, which is the, the prime truck to show up or the FedEx truck or whatever. And it's a trip because you'll sit there and next thing you know, you have this. I walked into a room and I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm building my keyboard. I'm like, what? And she wanted to completely swap out all the stuff on her keyboard. She bought the switches. She bought the keycaps. She bought a different kind of keycaps. She bought the PCB. She bought everything. And I'm walking I there. I wanted to do that. I know. And I'm like, holy <laughs> I crap. I haven't gotten around to it. Oh, That's my, so cool. How did you do this? And she's like, well, you have to get the right kind of keys because these are the ones I got. And they're oval, but you had to have the circle and see how these don't fit in my current one. So I got a PCB to do it. I'm like, oh, my God. 
This is just like buying a computer where it's like going, oh, I need a new graphics card. Oh, it doesn't fit. I need a new motherboard. Yep. And then, oh, that's too much power. I need a new, I need a new, uh, yep. a PSU. PSU. All this stuff, you keep going on and on and on. I'm looking at it like, this is like the new version of building a computer, but you're doing it for like 50 bucks on your, your keyboard. Yeah. She learned some of the hard lessons. She's like, I saw these little wires hanging off of it and they wouldn't fit. So I just had to cut them off. And I'm like, that's how the PCB knows that you push the, cr- the key down. She's like, oh, that makes sense. I need to order a new set of keys and I'm, or a new, I'm like, Oh, sweetie, I would have helped you with that. <laughs> oh, but she learned, she fixed it. Didn't she mind. got it all working. Awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. It's been cool. Cool deal. Yeah. So anyway, so this blog post, we'll link to it in the show notes, but uh, if you're interested in building your PC, follow along with them. It's been, I mean, the last update was 2015. So it's been a while since part eight and part nine. <laughs> yeah. Well, then, th- yeah, because this is what part nine was the downsize. This is April of 2020, so yep. very cool. Exactly. Yep. If you can get PC parts these days, <sighs> GPUs are hard to come by. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was the other thing. Her birthday's coming up. I want to build a PC. I'm like, now's not a good time. Yeah. Probably be paying twice as much right now. At Did, least so for GPU. Just random thing. Did you see that NVIDIA, on this topic, NVIDIA was releasing a new graphics card, but they've done something to the card, like in the hardware level where you can't change it, where they basically have made it like crap for using as a miner. Mining. They nerfed the mining speed. Yeah. So it's like... Although they did that with the 3060, I think it was, Yeah. as well. And then they accidentally released a BIOS that got around that. Yeah. So so apparently this one, because I, I covered, they covered that in the article that came out, but like this one is like at the hardware going, no, 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 these are made for not, these are made to intentionally not use mining. Like you can't undo that. Right. Until right. some kid on YouTube shows how to solder a Ex- <laughs> transistor exactly. off. Exactly. <laughs> People will do that and they figured it out with this BIOS and, and they'll try and do it with hardware too, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's cool. It's a fun race to watch, cat and mouse. Yeah. Cool. cool. Awesome. All right, gents. Uh, gents. All right. <laughs> it's just the two of us. I'm talking to both of us. All right, guys. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> For all the whole two Thanks, of us. <laughs> all right. CJ, good. good enjoy your, the rest of your vacation in the desert. Enjoy your ATVing this afternoon. And to everybody else, have a great week. And we will see you next week. Catch you next week. Ciao. Later. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find out about our show and grow the audience, and we would really appreciate it. If you got a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or an MP3 and provide a link to it so that we can play your question on the show. You can also subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts, in the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up to our mailing list by heading over to our website, microsoftcloudshow.com. You'll get notices of each new episode as well as the show notes sent directly to you each week. We'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks for listening.